It's time for the Ron and Brian podcast. Get ready to fill your ears with the latest news, politics, current events, and whatever else we feel like talking about this week. And now, your hosts, Ron and Brian. And good evening, everybody. It is Monday night. It is 8 o'clock, and it is time for episode 261 of the Ron and Brian podcast. Brian, please tell me your Wi-Fi is not frozen again this evening. No, right now it's, it is working. For those that um, are in the know, if you know, you know, uh, we tried recording this episode last night, uh, Sunday. However, it was unfortunately disrupted when Verizon Fios um, in the 1007 zip code here in Manhattan, New York, uh, just crapped out for a good hour and a half. And by the time that we were able to uh, get um, Ron and Brad, Brian podcast Studio North up and running. We were unable to uh, um, uh, get Podcast South um, to uh, crawl out from its slumber. I'm assuming you were getting ready for bed when I called. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was an early uh, Sunday night bedtime for me after uh, a long uh, a long day of uh, imbibing and relaxing on uh, on Saturday. But we'll get into that. We're going to get into on. our weekend because we had a a, a joint weekend. Uh, we did. Yes, it was. A, it was Ron and Brian take Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. But in regards to the Wi-Fi, Brian, there have been rumors. Matt's Matt's uh, heard from his uh, his people on the street that it might be an instance of domestic terrorism trying to block our podcast from uh, broadcasting last night. Have you heard anything similar? Um, well, I did take uh, Mrs. Brian to a um, offsite CIA um, uh, black house. Um, where she was aggressively interrogated by some of Dick Cheney's personally hand-picked interrogators. Um, you know, they uh, they tried the uh, standing position. Um, they shoved her in the little box asking her questions, whether, uh, you know, getting her to break to see if she could disclose where Osama bin Laden was and or what was the um, Wi-Fi password. Um, she did not break at all, uh, claimed no knowledge Great. of anything. Excellent. Um, they dumped her off on the street corner of 34th Street and 1st Avenue here in Manhattan. Um, I came to get her. She was obviously shell-shocked from her ordeal. But I do feel a little bit safer now. All right. Well, that's and that's really all that matters, Brian. Isn't it? All right. Well, let's get, uh, let's get things rolling with this Monday night edition of the podcast. It's time. For drink of the week. Drink of the week. Drink of the week. Drink of the week. Drink of the Brian, week. Brian, what are you uh what are you drinking tonight? I have got my oh hold on. Am I using my AC Beer Festival drink cozy. It would appear that way, yes. Well, then let me take that off and show you that I am rocking the six point oh, crisp pills. I believe I've had this before, um, but could not find on my podcast notes uh, book. Um, I could not see any uh, uh, results of it. So, right off the bat, look at that beautiful color. Oh, it's nice. Look at that. That look at that Christmas. Ooh, 
Ooh, look at that, Ron. You're looking at the crisp featuring Tet Nung and Hallertau hops, 100% sourced directly from Germany. It gives the crisp that signature floral aroma. Cargill Pilsner malt is the backbone and helps finish this beautiful, snappy, and clean beer. Legit pills with a hop aroma that leaps from the glass into my mouth. The crisp, it blasts you with a huge floral aroma that contains crisp, clean, and refreshing everything. Coming in at a 5.4 ABV, Beer Advocate gives it a score of 88%. I'm going to taste it right now and give you my score. I mean, it's uh, I've had that one before. It's uh, I mean, Six Point oh. makes a ton of great beers, uh, and that is just another one of them. I'm going to say this to you. Um, for this is probably the tastiest um, pilsner I've ever had. Really, there's so much flavor to it. Usually, pilsners are um, they're very crisp, yes. but they don't have that hoppy flavor to it. Um, this I would almost put on the spectrum of an IPA, um, which just shows you how little I know about <laughs> beer and the way people brew it. That I would consider this almost in the IPA category. I mean, just a beautiful color. Lovely taste, a lovely taste, Ron. Yes. What are you drinking? Uh, so uh, last night, I'm going to the same state I went to last night, going down to the great state of West Virginia, who we make fun of from time to time. But I did bring back some beers from my trip to West Virginia this week. And this is one from Parkersburg Brewing Company in Parkersburg, West Virginia. This is their Cell Block 304, uh, their Honey Brown Ale. It was a gold medal award winner in the 2016 World Beer Cup American malts are combined with British specialty malts to craft the cereal profile of this brown ale. It is then criminally hopped with a blend of English hops that are balanced against the toasty malts and a touch of local honey. Uh, clocking in at 5.6%. Uh, looks good there. Got a nice uh, brownish hue to it. Let's see how this tastes. He's taking a sip, ladies and gentlemen. He's that considered. is tasty. It's not, I wouldn't say uh, not, not an all-time great, but it's it's uh, it's definitely a decent drinkable beer. As you when you finish your second one, walk me through what are the flavors you're experiencing right now? I'm um, assuming you're gonna you're gonna get the honey. I'm tasting both honey and brown. What how does a color uh, taste? What is the when you say you taste brown? What does that taste like? Um, it, it, it picture what the color brown would taste like to you. Not a good one. I'm thinking poop. Not poop. Not exactly poop. No, I wouldn't give it poop. Uh, it's got a uh, kind of a dankness to it, if you will. Uh, definitely, uh, you can taste the mix of multiple hops in there. All right, interesting. So. Uh, I mean, again, decent, not as good as the beer I had last night. I had the big timber lager lager uh, pills, which was a good one. And we know exactly who to blame for um, you wasting that beer. It's a damn shame. A damn shame. Well, you know, you know what I also had to do last night without you, Brian? What you have to do? Beef of the week. Brian, and I can almost guess, but what's bothering you this week? Now, the easy one is going to be the um, unstable wireless internet 
sure. that Verizon Fios puts out here in the Northeast United States of America. That's the easy go-to. Um, you and I, and also longtime fans of the show, remember what a difficult time I, I, I had um, in terms of my uh, computers, my audio recording, um, when we first started doing the show. I, I was a, a long history here, without a doubt. I would not have blamed you back in the day for dropping me as your <laughs> podcast partner um, for somebody with a MacBook computer. I get that. However, you stuck through and we're here together. We're still here. Episode right. 261, they said it would never happen. And, and here we are. Um, but no, that is not going to be my beef of the week. Okay. Then I'm encouraged my, to hear what the, what that is. Oh, you weren't encouraged when you thought it was going to be my unstable wireless? I mean, you know, that was kind of low-hanging fruit, to be honest with you. No, 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 no. Mine is, uh, my beef of the week this week is the oversharing on social media this past week of people in the New York, New Jersey area of the skyline where they were um, currently located right as the smoky haze was coming down from Cali- from California Freudian slip there from Canada where they are having their own um, issue with wildfires that were coming down um, and I believe contributed to um, on the uh, I believe airnow.org um, had us at uh, 400 um, Cachulians, uh per gross. Um, I believe that's the uh, um, so scale. Had that- at, uh, 6.25 gigawatts, perhaps? I thought it was uh, 8 point... What was it? 8 point... It wasn't 8.1. 6 point... No. Come on. Somebody gets... <laughs> Anywho. Anyway, um, literally, for about, I would say, 48 hours... I would say two out of three posts that I saw on Facebook and on um, Instagram were people posting pictures of, of of their orange sky, which I will say in New York, it got orange. Yes. And did. in New Jersey, it got orange. 1.21 gigawatts. There you go. Janelle's got it. There you go. Bam. 1.21 gigawatts. Um, can you imagine if uh, Doc gave uh, uh, Marty McFly uh, eight point one gigawatts? <laughs> I mean, all he needed was one. Po- he only needed one point twenty one yeah, gigawatts. That's all. Um, but it was just. Uh, it was just. It was. It got to the point where it almost. It felt like okay. I've seen your photo. Now you have to see my photo. And here's a photo of me pointing in this direction. And here's a photo of me looking in this direction. And three hours later, here's another photo. It just got to the point of like. We get it. Everybody, there's there's definitely something going on in the New York City air right now. There's something going on in the in the the, the Northeast United States. Um, it's not good. Uh, it could be worse. Um, there could be COVID uh, uh, raging through the Northeast. I mean, we all remember those days, Ron, with the refrigerated um, trucks parked outside of hospitals, funeral homes, um, the forklifts carrying out filled body bags into those. Um, uh, refrigerator containers. We don't want to go back to those days. Yeah, we definitely we don't the, want to revisit that. We saw the, that orange sky and everybody just said, I'm going to go outside, take a photo, and I'm going to post it on social media. And it just, you know, it literally it, it irked and irritated me to the point where I almost wanted to delete my social media accounts. The, the only orange sky we like to see is the one in the background for Hot Podcaster Summer. Hot Podcaster Summer. Mm. Now that's a Ron, nice background. Yes, sir. 
That is a beautiful background. Ron, what's bothering you? Um, so my beef is um, spouses uh, who don't pay attention to where areas where there are red light cameras. So I'm going to say that there may be somebody who lives in this house with me uh, about a month ago, gets a, an envelope in the mail from the uh, violations uh, or citations, whatever, from Philadelphia. Sure enough, uh, ran a red light, turning on to Roosevelt Boulevard, you know, boom, hundred bucks. Great. Today I pick up the mail and yet another violation this time here in Montgomery County, uh, turning on to like Welsh road or something. Another hundred. So, so is it, she's making a right on red when you're not supposed to, or is no, it just the she's, fact that she's just she's, going right through red? She's going, she's like probably hitting it right at, you know, she's probably going through yellow and then it changes red and you have like about three tenths of a second. So if you're, if you're going into that intersection as it's turning red, you're, you're going to get a photo taken. You're going to wow. get Wow. I mean, I knew she was a rule breaker. I knew that yeah. she had a complete disregard for motor vehicle laws in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I just did not realize that, um, you know, her, her carelessness uh, uh, would, uh, would, would, would start to hurt you financially. I mean, you know, she wants uh, she wants the new backyard here, but she's spending all this money on uh, on red light camera violations and sneakers. Don't forget. Yes, right. Oh, good. Good callback. She's rushing to get to the parking garages that she's paid for. Very nice callback to uh, the beginning of the pandemic uh, when it took her like good. six months to cancel her her parking garage with her job. And that was um, a couple hundred bucks a month. No. Allie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Allie asking if she's from New Jersey. Actually, yes, she is from New Jersey. So. I'd like to know how Ali knows that. Um, I, maybe that's the thing in, in New Jersey. But this is what drives me crazy is by law, they have to tell you that there are red light cameras at these intersections wherever there are red light cameras. So you see right. it posted, red light camera in effect. So you should know. Um, little difference, though. This is not a speed camera. Uh, this is just a red light camera. Uh, her ex from New Jersey used to run Philly Reds all the time. Yellow lights in New Jersey were longer. That might be a defense for her to use when she goes to court. You know, for a lot, I've been saying that a lot of things are longer in Queens. Um, so I got my last girlfriend. <laughs> all right, Brian, what all do we want to start with this week? Oh, my God. Well, I think most importantly, we should. I mean, we, we, we did tell a lot of people over this weekend, and I think they're they're watching the show now. First off, um, I do think that we have to um, speak about the uh, weekend that we had. Um, the great people over at Alex's Lemonade Stand, um, just a great charity. Yes. Um, uh, this weekend, they had their annual Great Chefs event of Philadelphia. They, um, you know, over the, the, the last years that you have gone with Mrs. Ron, I believe the Jardies were um, there with you last year. Um, and um, they reached out to us with all the good publicity that you have uh, provided them over the past year. And they said, listen, we'd like you to come down to be our guest at Alex's Lemonade Stand's mm -hmm. Great Chefs of Philadelphia event 2023. Um, amazing hotel. They put us up in the Ritz-Carlton. Well, I've never stayed at a Ritz-Carlton no, before. No, it was very, um, very me, fancy. To me, that's a four or $500 room. I, I, you know, I know that you and I kind of, I don't want to say got into a tiff, but when you um, you were insisting that we pay the pay for our room, 
because you felt bad that the um, charity was paying for a hotel room. And I was just like, no, 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 Ron, let's let's let this one slide, because that was easily, you know, to me, a five hundred dollar room. Uh, Rich Carlton on a Saturday um, in, in was a major not, city. I mean, come on. Yeah. So uh, I was very glad that I was able to talk you out of um, <laughs> in, uh, paying for the room. But, you know, the the, the hospitality that we were shown, um, we walked in um, uh, immediately. Um, you know, we got our uh, we got our wristbands that uh, let everybody know that we were there. Um, we're immediately handed a beverage. You know, the, they had they you know they'd set up a a drink cart right by the entrance um, where we were you know separated from everybody else, and they said, "Hey, you can get your drink there." So before the event even started, I had in my hand, um, what did I have in my hand? I don't even remember. It was it was a tequila based drink. Yes, it was coconut in it. That was the one with the photo. strawberry horchata and coconut. Uh, it was a, a jicama highball, I think they called it. A uh, jicama highball is yeah. did you is that what you chose? Uh, that's what I had as well. It was very nice. Uh, so, if for people who don't know, Alex's Lemonade Stand uh, raises money for uh, battling childhood cancer, and uh, Great Chefs is uh, one of their fundraising events um, that you know brings what I think they had about thirty chefs in the house. That I day. thought it was about thirty-five chefs. So we start off. Let's walk through. So we start off. I had the mescalero, which is Casamigos mezcal. Hoven with lemon juice, honeyed grapefruit, and sage leaf. Very fancy. I mean, that was delicious. Um, and then what else did? And then, um, then we walked through, and literally, um, you know, you can't ask for a better um, classy event. You know, whereas um, uh, uh, two weekends ago, I went to Atlantic City for their um, uh, beer and music festival. Lines were ridiculously long. Um, you know, the wait for beer was just, um, you know, uh, not fun. However, yeah. at this at this event, I would say I never had to wait more than maybe 90 seconds. Um, you had 30, 35 chefs that were they each had a signature dish right. that they were giving you um, samples of. And not, I would like to point out not so not small portions. Yeah. Um, there were pancakes. There were Korean meatballs. There were. Um, what were some of the other things we had? Um, uh, we had a bunch the, of, uh, I had a fish taco, fish tacos. Uh, we had a b- bunch of different salads, chicken salad, fresh. Salad. You had some uh, spicy sausage, if I'm not correct. Uh, I had a hot sausage. I had the and seafood then they were, chorizo is what I had. I think that's what it, the, the seafood chorizo. And then also, let's not forget, there were also, I would say probably about a dozen local breweries that were giving out samples of their beer. And there was also, and this is where I think my afternoon started to take a turn was when I discovered the um, signature Tito's vodka and lemon, lemonade, lemonade, lemon juice. No, it was lemonade. Yeah. Um, By the way, delicious combo. If anybody's (laughs) looking for a drink next time you invite me over Um, lemonade with Tito's. Oh, was that delicious. Um, I had several of those. At one point, I was ordering them two at a time simply because I didn't know when I was going to get cut off, Um, which led us into um, the auction part. This is really the part where you realize the, you know, you're you're making a difference um, for the children with cancer. Um, Started off just a beautiful ceremony. Um, The actual um, girl who's um, name that the uh, foundation is based off of Alex. I assume it's short for Alexandra. You would be um, correct. Her parents were there talking about 
Um, they, they were talking about their daughter as well as um, a lot of good that has come out of um, her legacy. Um, all the uh, millions of dollars that have been raised, the children who have been helped. They told the story there um, where there was a parent who um, they needed some kind of uh, bone marrow transplant for their child. Um, they got a call. Like, you've got like an hour to get here. And um, because of Alex's lemonade stand, the, the, the charity, the parents were able to get transportation, hotel accommodations, um, and the child was able to get into the hospital for that bone marrow. Tra- I mean, it was just um, it very makes you realize stuff. you would have to be, I would think, a very hard hearted, cruel individual to have said anything um, negative during the speeches that were going on th- at that. Time. Sure, sure. I mean, it was it was really terrible because I was standing off to the side. I don't know how close you were to where I was. Um, But I heard at one point somebody make the comment of, um, you know, that money seems to be wasted um, because um, children are still getting cancer. Mm. Wildly offensive. Yeah. Horrifically offensive. Agreed. Um, um, At one point, um, uh, you know, the uh, Alex's father, I believe, was giving a speech, which I thought was completely appropriate considering the prestige that he holds within the organization. Um, and I think he was on page three of his four page speech when I heard somebody um, mutter, uh, wrap it up. Yeah. Which I just wild, wildly inappropriate. Very inappropriate. I, I've heard the, uh, the the foundation may not allow that person back in next year. And I wouldn't blame him. I yeah. would love I would love to show up there. And as you and I are escorted in to turn around and see that person being stopped at the door. I think the 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 I did see I will say this. I did see John Jardy laughing a lot while this was going on. Ah, So I I, it must have been somebody he was he was he was hanging near. One thing we did forget to mention uh, when we when we took a cab from the hotel down to uh, the event, um, there was four of us. And, you know, usually I'm used to cabs that can seat four people. Um, I guess the cab we happen to grab uh, normally doesn't. So I sat on literally a pile of garbage in the front seat. (laughs) as this taxi took us down to the Great Chefs event. Yes, and I give you credit because, um, you know, the uh, uh, you know uh, the representative from the foundation that had reached out and really took care of us so much, she was like, we'll get you, we'll get you a car service. We'll get you a, a Lincoln Navigator for you and your group. And we're like, no, 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 we can we'll take, take a care cab. of this. We don't yeah, want we'll you to incur even more of a cost. So the fact that, like, you were able to humble yourself just sitting on a pile of garbage – in a cab to only then be walked in and be the VIP um, that, you know, um, next year I heard there was talk of us doing a live podcast from the event next year. So um, we're already we'll lining, we're lining t- up some sponsorship money. So uh, absolutely. I, I Ron, do you have the website of Alex's lemonade of where we can, um, where people can uh, uh, look into that organization if they would like? Um, let's see here. That's a good question. It's okay if you could have just said no. I mean, we can move I believe on. it's so org, but I, I can't quote. Don't quote me on that. All right. Well, while you talk about it, I'm going to look it up. Alex's Lemonade. It's alexslemonade.org. So the event so, wraps up right around 4 o'clock, and we think, hey, let's go. Phillies play the Dodgers at 4 o'clock. Let's go, let's go catch a baseball game. And shockingly – the Philadelphia Phillies were sold out for their four o'clock game on Saturday. Yes, they and, were. And the resale was ridiculous. Like 
uh, standing the standing room tickets they have available, uh, $107 on StubHub. My God, that was outrageous. So I, uh, so we skip that. We go to Xfinity Live uh, to uh, you know ca- catch a catch a breather, relax a little bit, um, have a couple beverages outside. I mean, it was a beautiful day out, without question. Uh, mm-hmm. Beautiful day. Um, you know, some of us, you know, took that uh, opportunity um, to you know kind of recharge their batteries, um, take a little nap in these very comfortable Adirondack chairs they had outside the uh, the Victory Beer Hall. Oh wait, is that you, Brian? It looks like me. I can't really tell from that angle. Uh, um, I normally sleep with my mouth closed, <laughs> so I don't. I'm not sure that that was me. By the way, I would like to take a little. Um, can we can we give me a little compliment of the um, of my shirt, the lemon uh, themed shirt that you're wearing? To I don't know if you can put it. Event. Yeah, I don't know if Matt can put it up. I just put a link in the in the private chat of um, of a. Okay, can you can you not? I just put a group a a, fo- a beautiful photo of you and I at the event. Okay, um, I don't know if you can share it, but if you, it would be great if you can. But yeah, so um, so it's Alex's lemonade stand, and you know the organizer said to us, listen. Everybody dresses lemon themed because it's Alex's lemonade um, uh, foundation. So um, we've got matching lemon shirts, um, which were just just beautiful. They were they, right. were they were you know a lot of people are saying that these were the nicest shirts they've ever seen. Look at that! Can you zoom in on that just to show how beautiful we are? Look at us fighting childhood cancer one cup at a time. Why are you zooming in at my crotch? Jesus <laughs> Christ, man! What is wrong with you? All right, Matt is really Matt. Slow down, slow down. I know, I know, I know. His his heart is is just pumping. I know that the his pupils are heavily dilated. But look at us there in our yep. um our, our our beautiful khaki pants, our matching uh, lime shirts. Look at that. Thank you for your support. Fighting childhood cancer, Ron and Brian, Alex's lemonade stand. People, it's a great event. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much tickets were. I mean, we never even, uh, you know, got to the point of looking, but really, if you have the opportunity to go take a look at it next year, please go do it is for a great, um, a great charity and a great, um, service and great people. And uh, after uh, we allowed Brian to recharge his batteries a little bit, uh, we went over to Chinatown, uh, to Yakitori Boy, uh, which is a kind of a tapas style restaurant with karaoke rooms and belted out a couple hours of karaoke uh, while we continued <clears throat> to drink. Um, it was uh, it the, the night didn't go off the rails, but there was a lot oh. of drinking going on. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Yes. Um, you know, uh, uh, you, Mrs. Ron, me, Mrs. Brian, um, the Jardy clan, you know, it was um, just a lot of fun people um, having fun together. Uh, you know, some of the the, the, the high points of, of karaoke, um, every song you sang. Everyone, huh? Every song you sang was a high point for me. Wow. Well, that's very nice of you. I personally did, you know, my high point was doing um, Forever in Blue Jeans by Neil Diamond. You mean you did crush it? It talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. People, didn't this you, is the kind of say you want to hear me sing? Join our Patreon. Didn't Go you, behind uh, the paywall. Didn't you Join also uh, sing a little uh, Bee Gees as well? 
I did uh, Nights on Broadway by the Bee Gees. I really was struggling to get those high notes. Yeah. It was stuck in that little not quite good phase for way too long of the song. Uh, Billy asking, did I have any tortillas? Uh, no, did not have those. Janelle no asking for a video. We'll have to see uh, if we can get uh, the releases signed for that one video from the karaoke room. Yes. There's a spot on Brian's lens. It's driving me it. crazy. Um, so anyway, uh, spent well, hold the on. night. I'm going to just cover the thing. Where is the <laughs> spot? Do you see any spot? I don't see a spot, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm on a, I'm not on as high resolution uh, a screen as, as we know William uses. There you go. Or is that on my screen? I don't know. <laughs> um, so we spent the night at the Ritz Carlton, a uh, lovely evening, and then wrapped it up with uh, breakfast the next morning at uh, Green Eggs Cafe. Uh, Brian, uh, does if you Philly don't know me, how to do breakfast? Brian, you indulged a little bit oh. um, with their uh, stuffed banana French toast, I believe it was. I've never seen this photo before. You, no. did, you, did, you never showed me this. Oh, yeah. I took that photo uh, while you were figuring out how to attack that that pile of sweet cream in front of you. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I embarrassed myself in terms of how much of that I was able to put away. I think I basically was able to put away one piece of French toast and one layer of the sweet cream let's with kinda, bananas. Let's kind of zoom in on that French toast because it was ridiculous. Three huge pieces of French toast with what was, I mean, just bananas and just sweet cream in the middle. So, um, and, and what was odd was, it, I don't know if those were plant, those, it, they had the, pla the consistency of a plantain, but they were bananas, so like they were just nice, crunchy bananas. Maybe they're dehydrated, possibly. Um, but holy wow, was that? Um, I mean, just decadent. Yeah, as you could see, I I drink my coffee like I like my. That was only eighteen dollars, William. William wants to know eighteen dollars. Yeah, but very reasonably says, priced. Yes, very. Janelle wants to know whether I blew up the bathroom. Um, if it makes her feel better. No, I did not. I have gone um, twice today, uh, which is a lot more than my normal rate of every three, four days. So that can tell you just cleaning the system out. And I had the chicken and waffles Benedict, which was uh, fantastic. And where's your photo, Ron? Uh, well, I, you didn't take a photo of me. So, I mean, I guess whose fault is that really? Wow. Mm. Mm. It's offensive. But anyway, That's offensive. A great weekend in Philadelphia. Thank you, Alex's Lemonade Stand. We will be definitely back um, next yeah. year for Great Chefs. Uh, again, podcast may even be a sponsor of the Great Chefs event next year. We will sure. see. Uh, Brian, what else do we want to get to this week? We've got uh, got a ton of stories to get to. I think we first have to. Um, uh, oof, where do we even start? I mean, so much happened this this past week. I think we kind of have to start with celebrity obituaries. Yeah, we we lost uh, we lost a lot of people uh, this past week, and so I think we uh, we start at the top um, uh, for those wrestling fans out there. Uh, this one hurt. I mean, you knew it was coming eventually, uh, but the Iron Sheik passing away at the age of 81 uh, WWE Hall of Famer former world champion uh, the the transitional champion from Bob Backlund to Hulk Hogan uh, responsible for the birth of Hulkamania um, but uh, more legendarily known for his Howard Stern interviews later in life 
You know what? And that's a part that actually disappoints me is that right now when, when, when people think and talk about the Iron Sheik, they make Howard Stern references when, you know, he clearly wasn't in the best um, physical or mental state, um, you know, uh, and so many people don't have the reference point of um, an Iranian in the late 70s um, being the world championship uh, uh, holder. Um, in the uh, United States in a wrestling federation. Right. Um, I got into wrestling right after um, he had won the belt from Bob Backlund. So we're probably talking, what are you talking, mid-80s at that point? I would have been 84, I believe. Okay, so I got into it um, in 84, and I remember watching him wrestle and beat up American wrestlers. And and I obviously, I was not quite aware of, you know, um, uh, that wrestling was, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say fake. It's not fake. It's uh, predetermined. Scripted. We'll call it that. Staged, Scripted. I like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, just watching this Iranian, and I'm, I'm 12, and we are still, America is still smarting from the 1979 um, Iranian hostage crisis when our um, uh, employees of the uh, uh, American embassy in Iran were taken hostage, I believe, for 444 days. Um, and albeit it'll never have proven, but we're pretty sure that Ronald Reagan had them held even longer so that they would be released after he became president. Um, oddly, according to uh, William Esquire, not the worst thing that Reagan did as president yeah. um, was arranged to have those hostages held. But to have an Iranian sitting there, you know, on my TV on Saturday mornings, waving the Iranian flag, talking about how great Iran was and how um, how, how how terrible America was and how he would step on the American. I mean, it genuinely um, uh, anchored me, not to the point where I was going to do anything about it, but I was just like, I can't <laughs> believe that. I can't believe that this is happening and nobody's stepping in and no one's going to just shut him down. And then he teamed up with Nikolai Volkov. Yes. And then the two of them, they really just, you know, they ran over the tag team uh, 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 core that the WWE had to put in front of them for many years. Yeah, definitely one of the uh, best heels in the business and just a great interview. So we will miss uh, Iron Sheik. Uh, you not so much. You uh, you had Iron Sheik um, in the Ron and Brian death pool. Uh, so you uh, you collected, what was it, uh, 11 points on that, 18 points? Yeah, but these are, th- I think I, I, I collected nine, 19. But these are points you don't want to score. Understood. You know, um, uh, but uh, didn't uh, it wasn't he arrested with Big John Stud? Uh, no, um, he was arrested with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, pulled over and arrested uh, for having marijuana. And that was back when you know they, it was still you know people still believed in the reality. Very much so. So that was everybody was kind of shocked at that. I remember That's- there were really two. There were two huge moments that I think really kind of lifted the veil of it. The first one was. Um, I want to say his name was John Stossel oh, yeah. uh, on 2020 when he went um, into Madison Square Garden with cameras and interviewed some of the wrestlers. I believe he was beaten up by, um, I Dr. couldn't tell you. Dr. D. Dwight Schultz. My goodness, you are good. Um, he was beaten up by the head. But they made a point of showing you uh, some of the wrestlers that were talking to each other in the ring. Um, working through moves. They showed one of the wrestlers cutting himself. And up to that point, I genuinely had no idea <laughs> that there was anything not on the up and up about it. I mean, what should have given it away 
was that here was a sport that was being filmed in a in a in a, in a warehouse in Connecticut, um, <laughs> and uh, the, the New York Post was not giving a lot of uh, uh, coverage to it. But um, but when I saw one guy start to chew on some guy's forehead and spin into the air, I genuinely thought that he had a, ri- a, a chunk of his forehead. I was like a chunk. Of, I was yeah. It was just then and then also. Uh, so it was the 2020 story, and then it was the uh, uh, when uh, the Iron Sheik got arrested with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan because they they were in the middle of just having a yeah they were doing uh, a program a real, at that point yeah absolutely um, and it was moments like that was when I was just like oh wait a second that doesn't jive what should have given it away was at the end of every match both guys walked into uh, walked out of the ring into the same exit yeah like you would think that they'd be fighting each other. You would think, but now you know the truth. Uh, next up, passing away, a uh, famous comedian, a uh, friend of the podcast, Pat Cooper, uh, passing away at the age of 93. Um, again, another guy who uh, really extended his career with some just classic, classic appearances on the Howard Stern Show in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, he passed away. Uh, Tuesday night at his home in Las Vegas, again, at the age of 93. He was um, one of the biggest names that Stern would get on back when I was listening to Stern. Yes. At that point, it was like it was Pat Cooper and it was uh, it was Grandpa Al Lewis from the Munsters. Those were like the two you always listen to whenever they came on. Well, Pat Cooper would get on and he would just get so worked up within just literally um, uh, half a second. He would just, he'd become so animated. Who told you that? Who told you that? He would just get so angry. And then it would be good because you could, you could hear, uh, you know, Jackie the Joke Man and whatnot just pushing his buttons. Yeah. Oh, and and Artie was the same way. Like they would just. They just get him going, and it was uh, it was uh, it was hilarious. And the pen- eventually they had a falling out because Stern put uh, Pat Cooper's uh, estranged son on at one point, and his former wife, and then it just uh, uh, that kind of ended things. Rightfully so. It's kind of a shitty thing to do. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, we keep talking about putting Matt's um, cocaine dealer on the show. Well, yeah, we should do that. Try to confront him, but Matt's like, no, that's dis- disrespectful. Uh, also passing away this week, um, and I, I don't know that there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, dry eyes for this one. Pat Robertson, uh, <sighs> hateful evangelicist and uh, and host of the Seven Hundred Club. He always looked like a, a, a curious George. He, he, curious he George was, was less angry, and, and this was you know again he was also ninety three years old, but mm-hmm. he seemed like he was in his nineties for the last thirty years. Yeah, he he aged early and then kind of um, stayed steady. Um, But I mean, you listen, you know, um, he was one of the I don't want to say original televangelists, but he was one of the, you know, uh, biggest mainstream televangelists in this country um, and really practiced a religion that was just based on a very close minded approach of what God wanted and really. how do I say this? Um, he he really promoted a uh, you know a narrative of um, how uh, uh, the behavior of others brought um, uh, terrible cal- calamities to um, to us as humanity. Whenever there was anything that would would happen, a hurricane, um, 
would hit, you know, South Florida, he'd be like, oh, it's it's because of all the homosexuals in Florida. And then God is angry. And then there would be an earthquake in Ecuador. And he'd be like, it's all the heathen Protestants who don't believe in. in and it was just it, when it, there was it, the one of the videos I saw was uh, was after 9-11. Uh, Jerry Falwell was blaming 9-11 on sure. homosexuality and, and um, you know, intersex mar- or uh, interracial marriages and things of that nature. And, you know, Pat Robertson basically agreed with him. was like, yeah, it's because of, of this, this sin. So he, you know, it was, again, one of these one of these religious people that, you know, feed off of the hate and fear that they can uh, build in their followers. Sure. And, and what they can cherry pick from the Bible to really rile people up. And also collecting um, their money as much oh, as yeah. possible. Yeah. I wonder, I didn't see what he was worth when he passed away. Honestly. I don't even want to know the number. I will I, I will say that when I was in college, um, my uh, my college roommates and I would uh, um, watch the 700 Club for pure entertainment value. All right. So let's look at celebrity net worth. Um, so they are estimating his net worth at the time of death as... $100 million. Absolutely tragic. America deserves its downfall. If there are, are people in America who have $100 million wow. of disposable income that he can, and that's his net worth. That's not even putting into effect how much right. he has spent. Right. I'm just figuring on hookers, out how many, on how many hookers and people cocaine. can you feed for $100 million? Let's see if Google gives me an answer. Hmm. Jeff Bezos donated 100 million to American food banks in April of 2020. Did he actually donate it or did he say he was going to work on it? So at No Kid Hungry, they say that $1 can help provide 10 meals for kids. So technically, Pat Robertson could have provided 1 billion meals for children with his net worth. Uh, but I don't believe he did. No offense. No, I, I'm just calling. I'm going to. I'm questioning that math there. Um, what kind of meal are you providing a kid for ten cents? <laughs> well, you know, it's a, they buy in bulk, Brian. I think is what it comes down to. I mean, you're, you you have to buy several several Sam's Clubs worth of um, uh, Cheerios to get uh, to get it, get it down to ten cents a meal. <laughs> uh, but kudos uh, to William Esquire uh, who picked uh, Pat Robertson. Uh, in the death pool. Uh, up next, former Italian prime minister. Brian, I'm not going to get this name right, so I'm going to ask you to, to say uh, Silvio Berlusconi. 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 Listen, as somebody who's a quarter Italian, I will pronounce it properly. Silvio Berlusconi, the king of the bunga bunga parties. Uh, passing away at the age of 86, uh, here is a photograph of him later in life. Perfect, uh, Caroline. I feel like he had some work done. I feel like there may be some Botox in the forehead. Uh, the uh, the hairline is sprayed on. Um, he actually looks like an AI-generated photo. Well, it, first off, it, it, you're, I was going to say, it, it genuinely looks like somebody CGI'd the hair. Right. Because that hairline and that hair color does not look natural. Um, you know what always gives it away? The teeth. Yeah. If somebody still has their natural teeth at that age, they do become um, smaller and, and they, you can see they start to rot. Right. Uh, but here, you know, here's a guy who, um, you know, was was elected prime minister in 1994. Um, he was uh, an entertainer that, um, you know, uh, had a developed a, a huge uh, income, a huge uh, network 
Uh, I think he owned a few networks and really sure. rode that to becoming prime minister. And then once he, he, he was a celebrity, um, uh, he became a celebrity politician. Without a doubt. And um, and the real, the, you know, and the thing became he came into power and it was always just talk like most, you know, um, Italian politicians, just the allegations of corruption. Yeah. You know, links with the mafia um, and just taking bribes left and right. And really what he all, all he really wanted to do was just surround himself by with um, uh, models, prostitutes and um, easy women and uh, uh, have parties in his home. So then why go into politics? Like, I think that's where, where these guys go wrong is like you can you can lead a lascivious lifestyle outside of the public eye. I believe it's a narcissism for you to reach that level in society where you can literally just kind of snap your fingers and have so many people tag. You automatically just start to believe the narrative that you deserve to be in that kind of um, uh, position. And therefore, you should be, uh, you know, as powerful as it can get. Obviously, there you have politics. Um, and um, and it's a it's a trap that is hard to to to, to not uh, follow through. All right. And our final celebrity obituary this week. And this one, I, Brian, I know this one hit you pretty hard. It uh, did. The Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, yep. taking his life at the age of 81, um, getting caught. Well, he was arrested, what, 20 some years ago? Oh, um, I think he, I think I read that he's been in prison for 28 years. OK. Um, he said some health problems of late. I originally, I remember we were talking about over the weekend. Originally, I thought that he was still at Supermax in Florence, Colorado. But I read that he had recently, maybe um, uh, post-pandemic, he had been transferred to um, a federal uh, medical facility in North Carolina. Ah. Um, they did not disclose what his medical condition was, but they had taken him out. And he was in a um, federal prison that was there for uh, medical care. He had some type of serious uh, um, disease that they were treating him for. I wonder how much that played a part in his decision to commit suicide as opposed to, um, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, knowing that he was going to spend the rest of his life. in prison. I feel like if you're going to put 28 years into prison, it just seems, you know, something must have happened to make him wake up one day and just say, all right, I'm done. Yeah, you would think so. Um, so he uh, he set off. He sent out homemade bombs from 1978 to 1995, killing three and injuring uh, 23 with uh, the goal of uh, pushing the collapse of the modern social order. Uh, he was finally caught after he made uh, various media outlets release his 35,000 word manifesto, of which his brother, uh, actually recognized some of the phrases used in the manifesto sure. and called uh, the FBI on his own brother. Yeah. Um, did you read the Unabomber's manifesto? I did not. It was. It's a little too little too wordy for me. I've read it a couple times over the course of my lifetime. When I was, you know me. I'm, there's certain there's certain things that kind of hit into the zeitgeist <laughs> that just I just I just just command my my undivided attention. I was obsessed with the Unabomber. There was something I found so fascinating about somebody who could, um, in a low technological way, create so much terror. I mean, people were, I mean, there were signs in every post office yes. that were distributed to the workers that were um, uh, giving them uh, uh, heads ups on things to look for 
on packages in, um, to, to try to identify a bomb that he had sent. You know, it, it, like to just to have an understanding that this guy was a national. Um, he would go after uh, what seemed to be a connection between um, universities. Uh, uh, employees of several universities were victims of his bombs, as were um, some airline um, uh, uh, employees. So hence they, that's how they got the name Unabomber. Right. Um, and what was just uh, fascinating was um, his how, especially now, um, looking back 30 years after, you know, um, you know, his uh, his reign of terror, we look back on it and how now it has become such a mainstream argument of technology has been just handed this free pass into our society that we've been fed this story of, you know, technology is good. Technology is good. Embrace the technology, embrace the technology. And how the narrative is starting to become, well, maybe this technology is not so good. You know, there are some harmful side effects of the technology. Um, you know, you're seeing people who are, you know, struggling to interact with others because they're spending so much time online by themselves. You're seeing literally um, uh, internet forums where people are starting to become radicalized um, into um, uh, uh, thoughts and beliefs that they would not normally um, have had access to. Um, you're looking at a unhappiness level amongst teens and and millennials um, that have you know never really um, uh, been rivaled in previous generations. And, and a lot of people are saying these are the effects of society. We are having a whole, my, more and more difficult um, you know time connecting with each other uh, genuinely you know in in person. Um, and these were all things that literally were considered terroristic views. 30 years ago. Right. And now uh, it sounds like you may become the next uh, Unabomber, Brian. I'm, t I'm telling you, when I was reading this stuff, I remember when they when the Washington Post published his entire manifesto, okay. I made my father take me to a newsstand that had out-of-town newspapers so we could buy a Washington Post. Because if I remember correctly, the New York Times only printed portions of it, not all 30-plus thousand words. The Washington Post published all of it. And I wanted a copy of the Washington Post, which I still have somewhere in my apartment. I'm not sure right. where, but I remember seeing it recently. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, I, I still have it, and I will uh, – you know, uh, I've read it a couple times over the years, and each time I read it, it's um, – you know, he makes better and better points. Now, obviously, um, here's a guy that was a genius, um, right. taught at Berkeley, taught at UC Berkeley, um, went to Harvard, um, and then um, quit his job, uh, literally bought like a, you know, a 200 square foot um, cabin in the middle of Montana, no running water, no electricity, and um, but basically lived a life of a hermit for uh for a good 20 years or so. And uh, kudos also to William Esquire. He too uh, picked Ted Kaczynski um, in the 2023 Ron and Brian death pool. So he now has a pretty commanding lead in the death pool sitting right now at what? 76 points. Um, He's got 76. The next point person myself has 38. He has also uh, tied the record for most picks in a year at five. Uh, so that mm -hmm. record is now shared with William, uh, former champs Jocelyn and Andrew H. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, we're only at the we're halfway. Not even halfway. Point. Not even halfway. Not even halfway. Uh, so we will, uh, we will have to see how this all shakes out. 
Uh, Brian, before we run out of time, let's make sure we get to our stories of the week this week. Um, we always like to grab some stories that we make sure that we, we cover. We don't uh, we don't miss out on. So, uh, Brian, you uh, you brought kind of an interesting one to the table this week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? My story, we are going to take go all the way out to Japan, where um, the land of the rising sun. Um, and also the land where people have forgotten how to smile. Mm. That's correct. We are going to go to Kiko Kawano. Am I pronouncing it right? I believe Kiko, so. Kaiko. We'll go Kaiko. Uh, no, Kiko, because Kaiko just sounds very anti-Semitic. Sounds so we're wrong. not going to go with it. Sounds very wrong. Um, Kaiko Kawano is teaching a class through her company, Iga Oiko. I'm butchering this shit. Nail it. God damn it. That's awesome. Damn it. Which translates to smile education. Can you stop? Um, anywho, uh, so she's teaching a class that is um, uh, uh, letting people learn how to smile again because they have been wearing masks for so long that they no longer know how to smile. So here's an example. There's a picture of her. Um, so I'm just going to read some portions of the article and then comment. People in Japan who have become so accustomed to wearing a face mask have turned to the help of a professional to learn to smile again. While the Japanese government lifted its recommendation to wear masks for, for COVID prevention in March, many residents seemingly realized that they have forgotten how to execute a smile. Lessons to perfect a perfect grin come at a cost. $55, which actually is not that much, for a one-on-one -on -one session. I once spent $900 on a one-on-one -on -one session. I didn't even smile once during it. Not once. Um, $55 for a one-on-one -on -one session to teach people how to smile. Um, here's a quote from one of her students. Oh, man, I just really should not have done this article because I'm just butchering names. Um, just <laughs> Himawaru Yoshida. Himawaru, Himawari, uh, Jesus, Himawari, Himawari Yoshida said, I hadn't used my facial muscles much during COVID. Um, Himawari is a 20-year student at the Kawano, of, of Kawano's, um, adding that she's taking the course at the recommendation of her school to prepare for the job market. Can you imagine going to school and having your guidance counselor say to you, go take this course because you're not smiling enough? Right. Absolutely ludicrous. She teaches something that's called the Hollywood style smiling technique, where she teaches how to achieve a crescent eye and round cheeks, plus also learning to shape the edges of the mouth to show eight upper teeth. Like, I don't know why you want Very to show specific. upper teeth. She said that she has seen a fourfold increase in demand for classes post COVID, which is the absolute batshit insanity that she was teaching this class before COVID. So right. before COVID, she was sitting there being like, hey, I will teach you how to smile, which is literally something babies, right? <laughs> at, maybe not out of the womb, but By babies, blood. literally two-day-old babies are smiling. As soon as they can open up their eyes, they're smiling. One of the exercises instructs students to hold up mirrors to their faces and stretch the sides of their mouths with their fingers to get used to the feeling. Nice How am I doing, Ron? You You're doing good. It, it looks um, very natural. Oh, it's very natural. Culturally, a smile signifies that I'm not holding a gun and I'm not a threat, she said to Reuters, adding that an influx of international tourists could mean learning how to communicate 
communicate again using facial expressions. According to a recent poll, 55% of Japanese people are still wearing masks as often as they were when the government guidance was in place, while just 8% of Japanese um, citizens are not wearing a mask whatsoever. Which we're going to close the article with Kawano saying, I think there's a growing need for people to smile. Well, and I would like to let Japan know that the pandemic ended a while ago. All right. Ron. Yes. What's your story of the week? So this one, uh, I know you are a huge fan of uh, the show Extreme Cheapskates on the TLC channel. Um, so you may that have is seen... An- that is wildly anti-Semitic, Ron. <laughs> you, have se- you may have seen this episode. So the episode, uh, this, I mean, the first part is crazy to begin with. So uh, it, 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 it centers around this family, husband and wife, Kevin and Tracy Stapleton, uh, who have two children. Their, uh, their household income is $7,400 a month, but apparently they spend $1,800 a month on groceries and additional $700 eating out at restaurants. That's, that's $2,500 a month on food. Sure. Uh, once their other expenses are accounted for, uh, the Stapletons spend about $500 more than the total amount they bring in each month, uh, which led to uh, TLC bringing in Extreme Cheapskate, uh, former pro wrestler turned TV personality Goldilocks, who I have no idea who this is. I don't know where she was a pro wrestler, uh, but she apparently only spends just $84 a month on a food for herself. And it's because she grows a lot of food herself through composting. And Brian, what does she use for compost? Her family's uh, uh, fecal matter. She uses the, yeah, exactly. She uses the family poop. And here's a still photo from the episode uh, with Goldie with two handfuls of, uh, of, of compost uh, from uh, her family poop. So she, uh, she gives instructions saying, first, dump kitchen scraps. And then you're going to layer it with some of your human poo. And in between each time you poo, you throw in leaves scrunched up or sawdust. And it covers the smell. In a year, it will have dissolved into the most incredible soil. Uh, you've turned waste into resources. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, probably not surprisingly, the Stapletons uh, were not uh, completely on board with that. Question. You've composted before. Does it still smell like shit after you're done composting? Um, I haven't uh, composted in quite a while, but I can't imagine how it stops smelling like shit. You know, Ron, the first rule of improv is you yes and. (laughs) Yes and, yeah. So when I say, say, Ron, I know you're a big fan of composting. You're not supposed to say, well, actually, I've never composted. You just roll with it. Yeah, I apologize. My bad. Very disappointed in you, Ron. I've never composted, but it's I've been at people's houses who were in the process of it. Just smells awful. I, and it's only a matter of time before New York, New York City starts um, requiring people to compost. Yeah, it's it's going to be nationwide, I can imagine. Um, well, that is if the that's if the the Jew liberals continue to take over, you know, the Zionist march across this country. Brian, I know one story you also wanted to make sure uh, that we got to was the ghost plane uh, that Ooh. crashed in Virginia. This was uh, last Sunday, a week from uh, a week ago yesterday. Um, apparently, uh, this uh, this private Cessna plane took off from what it took off from Tennessee, trying to Takes fly off from to Tennessee LaGuardia. On its way. Do you have a map? There's. I, I know this is a last minute, Matt, but Matt, if you could pull up a map 
of the route that this plane took while I talk. Sure. Um, Ron, you can listen, I know, um, Matt, while Matt's looking that up. But so, okay, so this is one of the stories, and it's only it's happened a couple times in my lifetime, but I'm utterly fascinated. I don't know if I'm the only one. Um, there was a golfer uh, a couple years ago who was on a ghost plane. And what a ghost plane is, is a plane where they theorize where somehow there is some type of um, a gasket leak inside the cockpit or where, where the cockpit depressurizes, causing there to be the lack of oxygen. And basically everybody on the plane passes out and or passes away while the plane is still operating. Right. So the plane is still flying on autopilot while everybody on the plane is dead. So you've got this plane at 20, 25,000 um, uh, feet up in the air, just flying at its regular pace. Nobody at the wheel. Um, the the uh, I wish I remembered the name of the golfer, but if somebody could it was, look uh, it up. It was Payne Stewart, I believe. Payne Stewart, who was a real, it was a major name at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. Um, and what I remember was um, when he when, when when his ghost plane uh, occurred, it was live national news. Oh, yeah. They, they, followed, they literally I, followed the plane like they had the camera on the plane for the number of hours until it started I, to make its final descent. And I sat at home watching on TV. You could actually see the plane and it's just going. There's nothing to see. It's just a plane in the air. And they're like, nobody is flying that plane. Nobody is moving on this plane. This plane has been non-communicative. So there was a case this past week on a flight that left from Tennessee that was being run by a, I want to say an oil baron's daughter. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Wow. This was harsh. You like gladiator movies. It's good comment. Good comment. My even, even Matt comes in with a good one every he now does, and then. Every now and then. So, she was so there were four people on the plane, if I'm not correct. The pilot, co pilot, there was this woman and her um, uh, daughter correct. that were flying that had visited her parents in Tennessee, were flying back to the Hamptons in New York, right? Um, not long after this plane takes off, it becomes uncommunicative, unresponsive is actually the term, it becomes unresponsive. So, this plane is flying up to New York. Um, and nobody is responding to air traffic control. Um, they um, scramble F-18s, I believe. Uh, I believe so, yes. They scramble military jets because now they have a flight that is not responding. We all know that the last time this happened was 9-11 when we had um, four – uh, passenger planes that were not responding. So the first reaction is not necessarily, oh, that's got to be a ghost plane. The first one is, is this a terrorist attack? Has somebody hijacked this 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 plane? Right. So this, the flight of this plane plat from Tennessee all the way diagonally northeast as it approaches Long Island in New York, Long Island, if you're local, before it makes this very bizarre 360 degree turn and then travels southwest continuing over washington dc as it approaches washington dc is when the military response to it comes in at a complete second level they've within i think the states of maryland virginia delaware all heard a residents heard a sonic boom 
as military jets were going at supersonic speeds, faster than the speed of sound as they tried to track this plane down. And um, supposedly, I'm not going to claim conspiracy theory or whatnot, but supposedly this flight um, basically ran out of um, gas, fuel, and then went into a tailspin coming down at a speed like a a couple thousand miles an hour as it um, hit the land, created a gigantic crater in the um, woodlands of Virginia, which was, I believe they said, about a four-hour hike from the nearest major highway. Like it wasn't near a road. Right. Um, and they were finally able to reach and they basically were like, there's just little pieces of everything here. Yeah. There's nothing um, that is large. I was just, I read every, as you can clearly see, most of these stories, <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. This, this one, one you dug down into. The only thing I'm missing is the names of the people on board. But I am, I, I just find those, these stories absolutely fascinating that we're all going about our daily lives. Meanwhile, you know, uh, uh, 20,000 feet up in the air is an airplane that literally has, isn't, is, nobody can control. Um, there's no way that, you know, this isn't like a Steven Seagal movie where you can, um, you know, you can launch a, uh, uh, a Marine in the air to land on the plane and then fly it down. This is um, absolutely insane. All right. Well, one final story, Brian, and I know um, this this uh, announcement came out right before the podcast, uh, and you uh, you got a little teary eyed at this. Uh, but Pat Sajak has announced that uh, this September, uh, the forty one his forty first season uh, on Wheel of Fortune will be his last, and he'll be retiring after this next season of Wheel of Fortune. Listen, I, I always liked him. I thought he was entertaining. I know the New York Post seems to have um, uh, taken an issue with him as late. I've seen probably about three or four stories over the past couple months um, where they've got videos of him um, basically being a dick to the people on the show. Um, I'm not sure whether I, I didn't click on any of the stories, frankly, because I'm team I'm team Patch Ajak. Um <laughs> Uh, can't really say uh, that I'm team Vanna White anymore, though I do have an interesting story about Vanna White and the Playboy magazine she was in, but we'll tell that during After Dark. All right, makes sense. Uh, and speaking of After Dark, we're also doing that this evening. It is exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, it'll start at 9.30. Uh, if you want to join us and you're not yet a Patreon subscriber, go to ronandbrianpodcast.com. Click in the upper right-hand side to become a patron. Uh, If you join at the $10 level, you get access to the live broadcast taking place at 9.30 tonight. Uh, No one noticed the background that we use for tonight's uh, episode. Uh, Of course, uh, the photo of one of the bathrooms at Mar-a-Lago with all of the uh, supposed alleged sensitive documents stacked up. Uh, I assume we'll have to address uh, the Trump indictment at some point, but uh, I will Listen, say you and I, I will say this. I'm trying yeah. to cut you off. Say what you were going to say. No, I, I, I will say I was, uh, it was heartening to see uh, Bill Barr say, um, you know, he feels that if even half uh, of what is in the indictment is true, uh, that sure. Trump is toast. What I was going to say is that you and I, and it's been, it's been very special um, how during um, uh, 2021, 2020, like, we spent so much time talking about Trump. We never actually verbalized to each other that we were done talking about him. <laughs> we just stopped. And we just, after the election, after January 6th, when he left uh, the office, 
we had, um, it was literally, and it, it's one of the few times in my life where I've had a unspoken agreement. I know people think it's rare, me not verbalizing every thought I have, but it was just a, it was such a beautiful thing that you and I had, had agreed we were not going to talk about Trump. Um, and I think we've done it for about a year and a half. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. And I don't think just, so. I think we talked January 6th. And I think that after that, it just really I think January 6th, we just got tired of it. I think it was I think we both said I, I, at least I can speak for myself, which was just the fact of like um, he's not relevant anymore. He's not right. president. He's a uh, uh, he lost the election. Um, it's time for us as a country to 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 to, to move forward and stop looking back. Um, stop giving him the ability to um uh, cause the world uh, uh, anxiety. Fuck them. Agreed. So, uh, well, anyway, let's wrap this up, Brian. We've got to uh, we've got to get ready for after dark. Uh, but thanks to all of you that joined us on Monday. Uh, we will be broadcasting again Sunday night. Uh, domestic terrorism and Brian's yep. Wi-Fi notwithstanding. Uh, any anything else you have, Brian? Before we cut on out this week? No, this was uh, it was it, listen after my struggles yesterday and my. <sighs> my just my sense of of having let you down it's i i just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity for for redoing episode 261 and letting me deliver as i have today and deliver you have my friend well thank you all for joining us patreon folks we'll see you in about 20 minutes everybody else we will catch you on sunday night Thank you for joining us on the Ron and Brian podcast. We're live each week on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. You can find prior episodes, links to our social media, and everything else Ron and Brian at ronandbrianpodcast.com. See you again next week.